Thank you again to Kyle for sharing your story. Good stuff, man. And there's more where that came from. You need to corner Kyle in a loving Christian kind of way today and have him tell you more because his his heart has been changed and his life has been changed um, and what he's allowed God to do in him. So we're grateful for you, Kyle. Hey, you found your way to Grace Point Church, part two of a seven-part series called Blind Spots in which uh, we're trying to look at some areas in our life that we may not um, know are, are um, areas in which we um, make decisions based on assumptions that may be false. Okay? Um, if you were here with us last Sunday, you either felt like a genius or you felt a little um, taken by a, a math problem I had you do in which we tried to get under the, the root of our... Um, the issue at hand here, and that is these assumptions that we have about life inform our daily decisions. And if a lifetime is made up of days, then today and how you handle today is very important, right? Because today is just one of those days along the day toward your lifetime. And the assumptions underneath your daily decisions, if they're not processed, if they're not verbalized, if you are making decisions based on faulty or assumed to be true assumptions that are actually false, then we have a lifetime that's going the wrong direction. Okay? So this morning, to kind of get us oriented to this, I wanted to remind you, some of you know about this experiment. I believe it actually did happen. 1967 is the earliest we see it happening. There was uh, some researchers who put basically five monkeys in a cage. Okay? They were not children. They were actually monkeys. Uh, they put it in a cage, and they hung a banana in the middle of that cage, and they put a ladder underneath the banana. Okay? So we got the, the context. Cage, five monkeys, uh, banana hanging ladder under the monkey. And what happens is, you can imagine, the the climbing monkeys head up toward the banana. And the researchers decide that what they're going to do when that happens is they're going to fire freezing water at all the monkeys. Okay? Isn't that kind of fun? You should do this with your children. Uh, No, you really shouldn't. I'm just kidding. And, And this is what they did. So every time that a monkey went to the ladder to go get the banana, the researchers would fire freezing water at all of the monkeys. And so you can imagine, after a couple of attempts, you know, they finally get the message. Every time I go to the ladder, freezing water comes. Therefore, as much as I want the banana, don't go by the ladder. Okay? Simple enough. Kind of like Pavlov's dog classical conditioning kind of thing going on. Okay? So here's what they do. Then they pull out one monkey. They put in a new monkey, and they also turn off the water. And what do you think monkey number, the new monkey does? Let me head to the ladder. And so what happens? All the monkeys attack him. Seriously. And he doesn't know, like, what is going on? I mean, there's a banana. You guys are standing here. I'm going to go get the banana. He goes to climb the ladder. He gets attacked by four of his monkey friends, right? He's like, what in the world? So he tries it again. He gets attacked Again, and so he gets the message, you don't go to the banana or you will be attacked by your monkey friends. So he doesn't go and get the banana. And now they take another monkey out and put a new one in. The new one goes for the banana, as you can imagine, and the one who just arrived, who has yet to be sprayed by freezing water, he joins in the attack on the new monkey. Because he now learns what you do whenever a monkey goes to the ladder is you attack the monkey. And so with all kinds of joy and delight, he attacks that monkey as well. And finally, all the monkeys are replaced one at a time. And the, the reality is none of the monkeys will head up the ladder 
and go toward the banana because what has been conditioned in them now and has nothing to do with freezing water is simply you don't go up the ladder for the banana. Why? I don't know. You just don't go. Why are we attacking them? I don't know. That's what happened to me. I'm going to do it to them. And this is what happens. And, and this, is the, this then is the reality that we experience in our life too, right? That there are assumptions that drive our behavior that we often do not even or cannot even verbalize. Why are you dressed the way you are now? I don't know. Because someone sprayed freezing water on me when I tried to dress differently, right? Men, can you imagine? Can you imagine for a minute, men, if we decided to wear man capris? No. Why? Because our friends would spray freezing water on us or attack us because somewhere along the line, you've heard it said, and we, because we don't live in Europe, wearing man capris as a man is not, not good, not cool, right? Now imagine you go to uh, the hunting cabin for the weekend, right? Right. You're not wearing the man capris, and you're also not going to be driving a Prius, up to the hunting cabin, are you? You're getting the pickup truck. If you don't own a truck or an SUV, you're going to borrow one from somebody so you can fit into that deal. Why do we do that? I don't know why we do that, but if I don't do that, someone's going to either attack me or spray freezing water at me, right? Women, now, I don't have a lot of experience with actually doing this, but let's say you go to the hairdresser. That took a little while. All right. You go to the hairdresser, and you come back, and no matter what you decide, rarely, rarely, rarely do you ever decide to shave it all off. Right? Why? Because that's not what we, why isn't that what we do? That's what men do. Right? Because, man, <laughs> because somewhere along the line, you got the message, I don't do this because someone will spray freezing water. If you, if you just want to have that experience, go back to junior high, go back to high school for a minute, or kind of relive that moment, and you will have the look, the comment, the little subtle hint here and there that our lives are lived and we kind of move around, be very careful of making decisions based on what we think other people will think, and we're not sure why we do it, but we just do it because we think that if we don't, then this and this and this. And why don't we? Well, I don't know. This morning, the blind spot number two that I want to talk about is really the issue that Jesus talks about more than any other single issue in the New Testament. It's an issue that Jesus talks about more than any other issue, and it is... Uh, it is so important for your life because Jesus says this, and you're going to know when I say this. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. The issue this morning is really going to be our blind spot related to money and finances. Now, when I even lay that out to you, you need to know, and you already know, that topic is huge and massive, and I cannot do, do justice to all of the things that I have to say about money in, in the two hours that I have this morning. But... I'm just kidding on that one too. But it would be kind of like talking about, you know, hunting or, or um, you know, scrapbooking or whatever. I mean, you, it's such a big topic, you've got to kind of bring it down and focus it. Maybe not scrapbooking, but something else. So my focus this morning is really an assumption that we have about how we think about our money. And I want to qualify it with two things first. Because if you actually think about this message beyond right now, you're going to wonder about two things. Number one, I want to say this. I'm qualifying this message this way. Um, this message is not for people who, uh, for lack of a better term, are, are lazy. 
Now, I, I say that not in a judgmental way, okay? But we all experience times when we feel just lazy. And sometimes that's a result of discouragement, a struggle, and we just need help with one another, okay? But this message is not for the man or the woman who says, eh, I just, I don't know if I should work or not. I'm just kind of not motivated to find work and, you know, making money is just overrated. And I mean, God doesn't even love money anyway, so why should I even try? Okay, this message is not for you. There's, that's another message another day, okay? Um, this message is also not about um, don't have ambition. Okay? This message is also not criticizing ambition or desire or drive to be successful. I'm not cutting that down. This message is not about God hates money and you should too, okay? So those are some qualifiers. I am not, the message this morning is not for people who are struggling with whether they should go to work or not or just kind of feeling lazy about that. That's another topic. It's not about don't have ambition. It's not about God hates money or money is bad, okay? Now, with that being said, here's what I want to say. Here's what I think. As I focus in on this large topic of money, focus into one thing in particular, one blind spot, I think we have this blind spot, and you can agree or disagree. Um, But I think this, when it comes to a blind spot related to money, here's what we think. We think that there is a certain financial threshold in which I will be satisfied, and it's only a step away. That we have this assumption that there is a certain financial threshold in which I will be satisfied. And it's only, generally speaking, a step away. It's just a little bit further away from where I am right now. If only I had just a little bit more. I mean, I don't need a lot more. I just, if only I had just a little bit more, then at that financial threshold, I will be satisfied. And it's only a step away. And here's how you know if you've ever processed this. If you've ever thought to yourself, man, I wonder if I should, um, as a married couple, I wonder if both of us should work or go back to work. Or if you feel guilty that one is not working and stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad and influencing the kids, and you feel like, boy, if only I would go back to work and we could then make more money to be more comfortable, if you've ever wrestled with the question of how much should I work, should I work extra to take on more responsibilities so I can pay off this debt, or we need to save for, fill in the blank, college, retirement, health costs, whatever, therefore I need to work. If you've ever wrestled with the question of should I take a second job or a third job, you have processed this question, and that is how much money is enough. How much is enough for you? How much is enough for your family? How much is enough for you as a single person who's looking at college or what have you? And like, how much should you work, play, and whatever? How much is enough for you? Paul Polak wrote this. He wrote this in the Huffington Post. He said, he he asked the question, how much is enough and what do I do with myself when I get there? Interesting question. And he says this, this question is just as challenging for multimillionaires as it is for dollar-a-day farmers. The dilemma is tantalizingly similar for both. For the one-acre farmer whose family now has enough to eat for the whole year because they've increased their income to $3 a day, the question is, what's next? Do they keep increasing their income from farming, 
or focus on educating their kids, stabilizing their income, and living a happy rural life. For the multimillionaire, the question is, what's next? Do they keep making deals and growing their income just like they have been or take advantage of their economic freedom to make a passionate commitment to write a great novel, make the world a better place, or pursue some other dream? How much is enough? How much is enough? How much is enough for you? How much is enough for me? And the blind spot underneath our our focus on money is this assumption that's unspoken that just a little bit more will make you a little bit more satisfied. And if you work just a little bit more, none of us will challenge you on that because we all believe the same thing, that just giving yourself to a little bit more work is never really a bad thing, particularly if God provides you with the opportunity. Because a little more will be a little more fun. A little more will be a little more freeing. A little more is just all that you need. And you will be a little more satisfied And that is not like 10 steps away. It's just one step away. You're almost there. And the irony of it is this. For those who have lived long enough, you can say if you're honest and you look back on your life, if you could look at your income now and go back 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, if you could know then what you know now, And you could look ahead and say, man, when I'm whatever, 20, 30, 50, 60, 80, I would have made or I will be making this much money. You would have thought at that time, man, I will be set. I can't imagine making that much more than what I'm making now. And isn't it ironic that when we get there, where we are now, there is still this little thing that comes with us that says, there's another financial threshold that you have yet meet. And it's just a step away. And here's why this is so important. Not just to live a balanced life, but because if what Jesus says is true, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Then what you do with money and what I do with money impacts our entire lifetime and impacts the investment and the import of your life on the people around you and your family and your kids. So it's so important to kind of get this right. What God does for us is gives us an idea of how to approach this situation. And he gives us kind of a pearl of wisdom stuck in the book of Proverbs. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23 is where we're going to land. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible near you in the pew around you. That's a, uh, uh, a free gift to you, by the way. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to be able to have that Bible, take that with you, enjoy that as our gift to you this morning. The book of Proverbs is found kind of in the middle of your Bible. If you open up to the middle, you should find the Psalms, and then you just flip over to your right, just a hair, and you'll find the book of Proverbs. And in there, you'll just roll over to chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. I'm reading from the New International Version, NIV. Okay? And here's what we see, beginning at verse 4. Verses 4 and 5 are going to be our focus. Do not wear yourself out to get what? Rich. Good. So this message is not for us. Have the wisdom to show what? Restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are what? Gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. 
Those are our verses. Those are our verses for this morning. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Now, a couple of things, three things at least consider in this. First of all, do not wear yourself out. You know what the Hebrew in that actually means? Do not wear yourself out. That's right. Do not wear yourself out. So that means, in other words, this is not the good kind of satisfaction that comes from a hard day in the fields. This is not the good kind of feeling of, man, I just put in a hard day of work. I'm tired. And I'm, when I stop today, I'm going to stop, right? I'm going to fall asleep or whatever. I'm done. We're not talking about that. That is not what the, what, what the proverb is about. It's rather talking about the feeling that you have when you're like, man, I cannot, this is so tiring for me. This is so toilsome, so wearisome to be in this stage of life. Like I'm just going from this to this to this, and I'm wearing myself out. I'm wearing myself out. And in that process of wearing yourself out, here's how you know you're wearing yourself out. When you have no time to give to God, to others, or to yourself. When you have no time to give to God, to others, or to yourself. When your relationship with God is like, hey, listen, I, I'm, I, can't work, I can't serve at the church. I can't help in this capacity. I can't even think about going on a mission trip like Kyle went on. Are you kidding me? I, I am working so hard right now. I can never imagine that luxury of being able to do something like that. Seriously, I have no time to give to God or his leading or his call, his pull on my life. I have no time for that. Do not wear yourself out. I have no time to give to my spouse. <laughs> I mean, let, let's pause it there for a minute. Husbands, wives, not talking. Not that this is ever a problem for you guys, but I've heard of couples where this is sometimes a problem where sometimes life draws us in such different directions even though we're living under the same roof. It's like, man, I'm tired. We're weary. We're toiling hard. We don't have time to give to each other in the nurturing of our relationship. Young men and women who are in the dating world, and some, you, you need to know this, guys, especially the girls are, are, who maybe you're dating, maybe your girlfriend or whatever, is looking at you and saying, really, if you're going to be loving your work so much, where is there time for me in that? Is there ever going to be time for me if this man, if this guy is so committed to work and work and work and he's wearing himself out and I see it and he's not seeing it? You know you're wearing yourself out when you have no time to give to God or to others or even to take care of yourself, to be honest. Your health is going downhill. You're, a, you're, you're pessimistic. You're critical. You're negative because you're worn out. Do not wear yourself out. Do not wear yourself out. For what reason? To get what? To get rich. That's an important qualifier. Do not wear yourself out, and that's a very important qualifier, to get rich. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. What does it mean? To be rich, right? As I joked, hey, thankfully that's none of us, right? We're not, we're not rich. I mean, other people might be, but us, uh, not so much. So let's talk about that. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Let me ask you, no, no need to raise your hands, and, and you'll see where, how I'm going to define this in a minute, but no hand raising, uh, at least not externally. You can kind of, you can raise your spouse's hand if you want to, or raise someone's hand near you. But how many of you have extra food at home? How many of you have more than one vehicle? 
How many have a, a house for their car? How many of you have air conditioning? Have a place to stick food so it stays cold by itself? And have two of them. Have this magical thing that comes into the house on a wire and it results in you flip a, a switch and there's light. How many of you have to go when you have to go? Have to go and dig a hole. If we simply talk about needs versus wants, we very quickly, if we're honest, will realize we, we are all rich. We are all rich. We are all rich. You all have, I have, you have, you have extra, don't you? You have more than what you need today don't you? And so do I. You have more, and I have more than what I need. And so here is what we see. Don't wear yourself out to move the line between needs and wants further into the want category. Do not redefine needs versus wants. The data plan is not a need the fourth pair of jeans is probably not a need. Maybe the second pair is not a need, right? And I'm, I'm kind of picking at some things, but listen. The point is, have the wisdom to show, what does the verse say? Restraint. Have the wisdom to show restraint. And so what if I were to ask this question? Think about a recent purchase that you made or one that you're hoping to make, something you want to buy or or accumulate, or whatever. If you were not to buy that, that thing, you have that thing in your mind? If you were not to buy that, would all of your needs still be met? If you were not to buy that, would all of your needs still be met? If so, then that pushes into the want category. And I don't care what it is, it pushes into the want category. And we need to start calling that what it is. It's a want. That's okay. God's not all against wants, okay? Not all against wants. But we need to call it what it is. And therefore, we need to say, if that is in the want category, one thing that I know I need to be careful of is not wearing myself out to get my wants, Show the wisdom. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Have the wisdom. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Because. Why? Because verse 5. Your money will all of a sudden fly away. Has that ever happened to you? You get to the end of the month and you're like, what happened? Who robbed us? Right? Where did the money go? Get to the end of the year, Christmas time, whatever. Well, what happened? I thought we were fine. And then where did the money go? What happened? Seriously? I mean, we have to pay that. Where did the money go? That, that money, as, as, as sure as it seems at the time, the quality of our, of our money is such that it will kind of sprout wings 
and fly off and kind of go away and it will be gone. And the things that you have worn yourself out for, you pushed through boundaries, you have worked into the night, you've taken on a second and a third job so that you could have the want that you thought was a need and all that, you could push into that. All of a sudden, it's gone. Like someone wrecked it. They, they stole it. I wore it down and it's gone. And I need, a, I need a new one. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't wear yourself out. Don't wear yourself out. One of the interesting things about this is that the finish line, and you know this, the finish line is always moving, isn't it? On wealth and riches. In fact, it was this fellow named uh, Alan Forbes, or Alan Prince, excuse me, in Forbes magazine, he wrote this. He said, many billionaires cannot imagine spending all the wealth they've accumulated. Now, I don't know what your portfolio is uh, here today. I don't know those listening later what your portfolio is. But think about it. As a billionaire, and he says, if you spend one U.S. dollar every second of every day, nonstop, it would take you 31 and a half years to spend your fortune. Now, that is difficult to imagine, so I did the math, because that's the kind of guy I am. Here's what that means. That your, your monthly budget, not including interest on your, your vast fortune, would be $2.5 million a month. You might be able to handle that, right? If you're a billionaire, you could spend $2.5 million a month, not including any interest, by the way, just flat out spend $2.5 million a month, and it would last you 31 years. Not a bad deal. Here's what he says, though, about billionaires and the the ultra-rich. They want to become significantly wealthier than they are today. Based on ethnological research, the self-made super-rich are very focused on becoming even wealthier. And the reason for this is simple. That is the wealth creation high. The high that comes from closing the deal and making even more. Furthermore, there is no number that will make them happy. They are looking to amass as much as possible and then a whole lot more. Now, what I'm grateful for is that this is a problem only for the super rich. Like people who have extra food in their houses and people who have extra cars and extra clothes, some of which they don't wear Imagine this. Some people have clothes they don't wear for months. Amazing. We talk about wealthy people. This is only a problem for people who are rich. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. So if this blind spot is underneath our worldview, that there is a level of financial threshold in which I'll be satisfied, it's only a step away, what can we do to correct it? And I want to go... Uh, You don't need to turn there now, but really a corrective I want to offer you really comes from uh, Solomon, again, who I think second wisest man uh, ever to walk the planet next to Jesus. And he offers in Ecclesiastes uh, 5, verse 10, and he says this, whoever loves money never has, finish it with me, money enough. Whoever loves money never has, what? Money enough. The second part of that, verse says that whoever loves money is never satisfied with his income. You ever know people like that? You ever been that way? Man, I'm worth more than what I'm making. If only they would recognize that. Like if only I were a little bit further along and my boss is such a, and I'm worth more and I, I would be a little more satisfied if I were here. 
Whoever loves money, I'm telling you, you, you know this intuitively, never has money enough because the finish line is always moving. It's always moving. The line is constantly moving. So, a couple questions you can ask. Really, I want to get after one. But what I want to know is this. Two questions. One I'm going to put up, one I'm just going to say to you. How nice would it be to have someone in your life, in my life, who, who'd have the courage to ask you the question? This thing that you're going after, this phase of life that you're thinking about, the decisions you're making about whether you should work or not work or whatever, is that, is that for a need or for a want? Is this for a need or for a want? And spouses can help each other with that question. Singles can help each other with that question. Okay, is this for a need or a want? If, if it's for a want, if it's for a want, don't blow through your personal boundaries to get there. Do not exhaust the people around you. Do not make yourself unavailable for God's leading. Do not push through your personal boundaries to get there. You're talking about getting rich. Do not go there. Okay? Now, this other question, though, the question that I really want to come down to is this question. Where am I in line? Makes no sense without this story. Michelle Blake wrote this story. Michelle um, wrote a long article about her mom and grandma and the impact of money being passed down from generation to generation and some ebbs and flows in their life from great wealth to poverty and then in between and how they, they went through that process. She's now reflecting on a time when her and a family friend, her family and this, this family friend are at a beach um, together and they're sitting there at the beach and they're kind of reflecting on the world in a moment where kind of all seems right in the world and here's what she says. We could hear the voices of the children returning from a swim and knew that signaled the end of conversation. As he stood to watch the kids, Ira, her friend Ira, said, I know one thing. If you lined up everyone in the world, front to back, from most fortunate to least fortunate, I figure I could see the front of the line. Ira was saying, let's look at the facts. Today we are reposing on a beach on a summer afternoon. We're, at a, we're safe in our houses at night. We choose where we want to live, what we will wear, how we will make our living. We wake up rested and know we will be able to feed everyone we love all day long. She writes, I return to that insight often, especially when I'm sinking into the delusional morass of not enough. We can see, she says, the front of the line. We can see the front of the line. The question for you, where are you in line? Where are you in line? Where does your heart tell you that you are in line? Can you see the front? Whoever loves money never has money enough. There's a gentleman by the name of Agur, A-G-U-R, kind of sounds like an auger, but no, it wasn't an auger, named Agur. And he writes, he writes in the same book of Proverbs at the very end, he says this, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Interesting way to start the verse that kind of seems to change mid-sentence. But here's what he's saying. In other words, the falsehood and lies that say, you're not making enough. You're not, you're worth more. Just get a little more. You're just a step away from really being satisfied. You're just, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Come on now, the lies that say, 
I, would, I will be satisfied if only I have a little bit more. If only I work a little bit more, I will be satisfied. Keep falsehood and those lies from me. And then he says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Because he'll write in verse 9, If I have poverty, I may steal. And if I have riches, I may disown my God because I don't need him anymore. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Whoever loves money never has money enough. And, and we cannot serve. We cannot serve both God and money. We'll love the one and hate the other. And there is no such thing as a financial threshold that exists beyond where you are right now in which you will be more satisfied. It is not only a step away. We cannot serve both God and money. This final question I offer to you to try to get under the issue of what do we love? Because this is, this is so important for a lifetime. This is so important for a lifetime. If I could offer to you, if I had the power to offer to you a doubling of your current salary, let's say I could offer that to you. Just think about that for a minute. If I could double right now your current household income or your current salary or your current wage at your job, if I could double that for you right now, and I could give you an option, I'll either double that or let me finish my offer, or I could double the quality of the relationship with your God. You know the right answer in church, right? We all know the right answer in church. If I, if I had that power to offer to you, and, and here is the tension and the pull that I face and you face, the money looks so good and so tempting and so trustworthy. If I had a little bit more, I could not stress nearly as much. The resources will take wings and fly away, which is why it is a waste of your life to wear yourself out to get rich. It is a waste of your life to wear yourself out, to get rich. I'm not speaking about ambition. I'm speaking about blowing through boundaries, being unavailable for God, for others, and not taking care of yourself. For what? For what? That blind spot underneath what we deal with every day is I'm worth a little bit more. I can get a little bit more. It's only a step away. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance we have this morning to reflect on this simple reality that whoever loves money just is never, ever, ever going to have enough money. Whoever loves money is never going to be satisfied with their income. This is a great challenge for us because it's so practical and so difficult to walk into every day in the season of our life now and say, God, I want to be available for you and yet, I need to make money. So, Father, help us to have the wisdom to show restraint, to live below our means, and to understand our position in line, that we can be satisfied to give us our daily bread. Draw out in us, if you will, this heart condition that we have, this desire 
to say, Father, I love you more than I love the things that I'm going after now. I pour out my heart to you in love and trust that you are even more trustworthy than the money and resources that I can get. Help us to see the great value of a relationship with you over and above the value of the things that we pursue. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name.